Hello and welcome to the podcast around Serie A in 20 days. If you're a subscriber, you'll know by now that I'm Michael Nimmo, the author and narrator of this. But if you're not a subscriber, well, well, now you do anyway. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, this one is when I went to watch Roma. If you do enjoy today's episode, please leave a star rating and a review on iTunes. That would help a great deal. And as a little incentive, I have a very special offer for you. If you leave a review and star rating on iTunes, then you take a screenshot of all that to show that it was you, you can get a special discount on the digital version of my book. So, to get around Serie A in 20 days for 10 pence, yeah, 10 pence, for either the Mac or your Kindle, just email me the screenshot of your review and star rating at themichaelnimmo at gmail.com the Michael Nimmo is all one word, the Michael Nimmo at gmail.com and I'll let you know what to do next. So, a fantastic deal. You would be quite literally insane if you didn't do it. So, do it. But first of all, enjoy when I went to watch Roma. Ciao, ciao. Roma, Roma, Roma. My trip to watch Roma play Fiorentina. All roads lead to Rome, as they say, and for my sevens match, it was about time that I left the comfort of the north of the peninsula and made my way down to the capital in the big time. As always, I eschewed travelling by road, although given my apparently poor sense of direction, it would have been easy enough, given that it's one long motorway, and like they say, all roads end up there anyway. Instead, I took a rather refreshing train. Not refreshing in the sense that it was a departure from my normal method of transport, but rather that I only had to get one reasonably fast train, thus eliminating any worries about missing connections and the general tedium that goes hand in hand with hanging about train platforms. The more I do this, the more easily pleased I become. Come May 2014, I'll be happy if the train stops in my chosen destination at all. The week before this, everyone who I told about my plans left me with the somewhat disconcerting advice. Be careful. Nothing like putting my mind at ease, guys. Thanks. While the umpteenth person was suggesting this, I started to ask myself, do I give the impression that I'm a clueless yokel? After chewing on a piece of straw for some time, and then getting freaked out by my reflection in a window, I reasoned that maybe yes, I do. I'll be knee-high to a grasshopper if I know why, though. I'd only been to Rome once before, and that was just for a weekend of marching about the main points of interest and pubs, so this match would let me see Rome in a different light. I was pretty excited about going to see my first proper stadium in Italy, and given that previously the biggest stadium I'd seen was Murrayfield, which even then is the home of some kind of ridiculous non-football-based sport, This promised to be an experience to remember, for good or bad, what with people's concerns about me all of my lonesome, among the cosmopolitan capital dwellers ringing in my head like tinnitus, only time would tell. AS Roma were founded pretty late on, considering they're one of the capital's two top-flight teams, set up as they were in 1927. Quite impressively, this season is their 62nd in a row in Serie A. They've won it a paltry three times, but have won the Coppa Italia three times that again. Spoiler alert, 
Having seen how they celebrated a lunchtime victory over Fiorentina in December, I dread to think what pandemonium would have been unleashed the last time they won the league in 2001. They've also won the MLS All-Star match, which, while researching this, struck me as being odd. But having checked, the best of the MLS have played various foreign teams at soccer ball in recent years, including Chelsea, Man United, Celtic, and no offence, but I guess no one else was answering the phone, Fulham and West Ham. I've been a fan of Liverpool since I was a pup, but chose not to disclose this to anyone on this trip, as the locals still aren't best pleased about losing the European Cup in their home turf against the glorious Merseysiders. On penalties too. Ouch. That was their first European experience of being runners-up, an experience which was repeated in 1991 in the UEFA Cup against Inter. This was to be useful practice for the fans, as after they won the Scudetto in 2001, the rest of the noughties saw their club acting the role of bridesmaid in the league six times and the Coppa Italia four times. Roma have played at the 73,000-odd capacity Stadio Olimpico since 1953, although it has of course had to have had various renovations over the years. You don't really see it, or at least I didn't, until the last moment, as the route I took through the security gates and up the concourse meant that most of it was hidden behind trees until the turnstiles. Then, there it was. A concrete and iron monstrosity rearing up out of nature. From my seat in the Tribuna Tevere, I had a view of the hills in the background, upon which a golden statue of the Virgin Mary, la Madonnina del Don Orione, watched over the pitch and glinted in the lunchtime sun. It's home to both Roma and Lazio, and was restructured to hold the 2009 Champions League final. Despite being enormous, and by Italian standards pretty nice inside, the toilets are new, many of which were added for the final in 2009, the average attendance for Roma in the 2012-13 season was just over 40,000. That said, it was a poor season for them, but even when they won the league in 2001, there were on average 10,000 bumless seats at every match. Roma are nicknamed I Rossi, the red and yellows from their colours, La Magica, the magic one, and their badge bears the wolf from the legend of Romulus and Remus, hence the less common sobriquet of Ilupi. Meanwhile, their fans are referred to as Romanisti. Starting out as nominally left-leaning, which was as much a reaction against the right-wing Lazio as anything, they aren't a classically politicised support. That said, like a few Corve in the last couple of decades, the Corva Sud has become populated by right-wing groups, although politics is generally not a defining feature of most of the supporters' groups. Due to the length of the journey and the fact that this was a lunchtime kickoff, I packed up my spotted handkerchief and headed down the day before. Being in the big smoke meant that I went out for a while in the evening to investigate how Romans spent their leisure time. The knock-on effect, though, was a late night and I had to get up early. In a moment of fairly typical laissez-faire thinking, I decided, i.e. not done anything proactive, to get my ticket while I was in Rome. So, at ten o'clock on the Sunday morning, I was striding along the very straight roads of the centre in search of the Roma store. I've previously noted that my orientation skills may not be entirely up to scratch, but I'm pleased to announce that on this occasion, I didn't get lost following a long, unbending road. Now that's progress. I had expected the town to be mobbed as the game fell on the 8th of December, which is quite a big deal for Catholics, 
being as it was the date of the Immaculate Conception. With the celebration for the conception of a child seventeen days before his birth, it seemed quite apt that I was off to see La Magica. In the end, Roma seemed to be as busy as it normally would be, which is nice as I'm not really a fan of massed throngs milling around. At least in a football stadium, the accumulated hordes have a purpose and a sense of direction, even if this is often more figurative than literal. When I arrived at the shop, I asked for a ticket for the Distinti Sud, as I'd been recommended to try there due to its proximity to the Corva Sud, the main home fan stand which I hadn't been able to get a ticket for. Much to my chagrin, there were no tickets left, leaving me with a split-second decision. Would I not bother with the match, or would I spend 75 euros for the Tribuna Tevere? I'd come that far by then, but 75 euros? Really? Ugh. In the end, I made the only decision I could, and just bought this stupid bloody thing. Still though, it was getting ridiculous. Spending 75 euros on a ticket to watch a team that isn't even mine, even if it was for what would hopefully end up being a worthy cause, was galling. While I was handing over the money, I got the sweats, as I often do when spending money spuriously, and felt like they were pulling my pants down. I truly did. I think it would have been the least they could have done, to be fair. So... Feeling robbed, I headed off for the stadium, hoping for a happy ending to the whole affair. To get to the Stadio Olimpico from the centre of Rome, however, is not all that quick or easy. My best friend, Google Maps, suggested that I take a bus, and ever happy to act on its advice, I dutifully waited for one. I'd looked around for a kiosk that would sell bus tickets, but alas there were none open, so figured that seeing as I'd been buying bus tickets in Genoa for years... This once, being Portuguese, wouldn't hurt. Just call me Miguel. Despite having lived here for a good few years, the fundamental difference between right, i.e. following rules, and wrong, not doing so, is in my DNA, and no amount of gesticulating wildly while speaking to friends on the phone will entirely dilute it. Knowing that what I was doing was against the rules made me a bit nervous, so I kept my eyes peeled for inspectors lurking in bus stops. My unease was well-founded, as nearly three stops after I got on, I had to very quickly get off when inspectors boarded. Damn those crafty buggers doing their job, and on a Sunday to boot, is nothing sacred anymore. When I checked my map again, it rather disappointingly told me that I was about five kilometres from the stadium. We didn't speak for some time after that, but thankfully once again, I only had to go along very long straight roads until I saw some likely-looking sorts and follow them as slavishly as Berlusconi does to his own self-interest. Given the distance, the fact that I was fairly marching and my unnecessarily thick woolen jumper, by the time I got to the stadium I was puggled. With three minutes to get to my seat before kick-off, I hoisted myself up the steps as quickly as possible and arrived just in time to blow a fug of smoke into a child's face as the ref tooted his whistle. As they say, when in Rome. Often these lunchtime kickoffs are damp squibs, but not surprisingly, a game between two of the top performing sides in the country didn't live down to this trend. After only six minutes, Roma grabbed the lead, Gervinho immaculately conceiving a goal for the otherwise poor Maicon to knock in from a couple of yards. Few bedlam in the stands, and a phenomenon less enjoyable than severe and prolonged turbulence. It had seen that when Romanisti get excited, they stamp their feet en masse, which when thousands of them are at it, 
makes it feel like you're in the middle of an earthquake. I'm not a huge fan of the earth moving beneath my feet, apart from on escalators because I'm lazy, so despite adding a certain buttock-clenching magic to the moment, I could have quite happily lived without it, thank you very much. Following this was a moment of real danger of a second Roma goal, and a moment of amusement for anyone who wasn't hanging on the result of the match. Gervinho, always playing as if he's being chased by a rollerblading gunman, i.e. straight-line sprinting with an occasional change of direction and loose control, got through on the right of the penalty box, then, only the keeper to beat! Go on, you can do it! Just a simple shot! While he was busy visualising, wheeling away to soak up the adoration of his public for the certain goal he was about to score, his eyeball coordination refused to play nice, the ball hitting his trailing leg and causing him to fall on his backside. Oops. Needless to say, the public were not in raptures, although I was thoroughly entertained. The only thing lacking was a dadumch drum fill. Shortly after this, Fiorentina snatched an equaliser. Mykon fell asleep long enough at the back post for the ball to be recycled back into the box, and a cutback found Vargas who happily blutered the ball in from the edge of the area. After this it all got a bit bitty, and after a string of draws the Roma players were visibly getting agitated, leading to some entirely unnecessary bookings for dissent. The second half started like the first, both sides grasping for a breakthrough, although it was Roma who looked most likely. They huffed and puffed and banged on the door, and Lajic on the post, and it wasn't until nearly 20 minutes before the end that they got their reward, Destro scoring on his comeback from injury before sprinting back to the dugout to celebrate with his teammates. Just a minute later, Fiorentina threatened to piss all over their picnic, but a great reflex save from De Sanctis stopped them in their tracks and got the home support's blood well and truly up for the remainder. After this, it all calmed down, save for the introduction of ex-Roma player Pizarro for Fiorentina, he got the typical old boy reception of invective and booze every time he so much as glanced at the ball. Extra time became squeaky bum time after Roma's Pjanic got a second yellow card, but just as there was no Pjanic for the last few minutes, there was equally little panic or disappointment for the Romanisti around me. My seat up in the gods and pigeon droppings gave me a great view of the pitch and stadium, and it was from here that after the first goal, I had a great view of a flare arching out of the Corva Nord and into the huddled and already aggrieved Fiorentina fans. This did nothing to lift their mood, and the offending pyrotechnic was swiftly hurled back into the Roma throng, which parted as if Moses was heading their way. It was at approximately that moment that I decided I was happier to be up out of harm's way, even if it meant that my pocket was a bit lighter. As the lunchtime sun crawled lazily across the December sky, it shone through the roof onto the flags and smoke bombs of the Corvasud, creating a beautiful, dreamlike image of hazy figures through shafts of light. Almost poetic, if it weren't for the fact that most of these ethereal figures were probably off their nuts on coke and screaming obscenities. In the following days I was keen to find out how, or if, the two teams had been punished for the flare-throwing, there had been a lot more beyond that one just mentioned, just a bit less exciting as they were thrown onto the running track or the concourses. A quick check of the trusty internet revealed that Fiorentina were to receive a fine of €15,000, while Roma got punished with a sanction of 2000 Why the discrepancy, you ask? Me too. 
I imagine that none of these fines will be paid with anything other than a bitter sense of injustice and gritted teeth, which, although I'm not privy to all of the reasoning, would seem fair on the Viola's behalf due to the gulf indifference. But over a season, it seems that any club could, if it so wished, probably buy a decent Scottish First Division club, or Rangers three times over, and still have change for a pie and bovril. A man sitting behind me spent most of the match muttering to himself in his very strong Roman accent. Needless to say, he wasn't totally enthralled by everything he saw. As an aside, has there ever been an entirely happy football supporter in a stadium? I imagine that even Barca fans in the Guardiola years found something to grumble about. This guy, while not blowing smoke at the back of my neck, kept repeating, die, 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 come on, come on, come on, and at one point exclaimed, oh, Louis de Vimorie, oh, he has to die. He was, of course, talking about one of his own players. Fans are fickle creatures. Conversely, Romanisti are often referred to, a lot of the time by themselves, as being itifosi putifosi, which poorly translated works out to be the most supporting supporters, i.e. the best, most passionate. I know people from other teams, both here and in Scotland, who if forced would probably bleed the colours of their teams, Hearts, Northampton Town and Livorno fans not included, for the obvious colour similarity between blood and maroon or claret. I was intrigued to find out why Romanisti thought they were like this. Danilo, one of my interviewees, told me this. It's more than a passion. It's a characteristic that conditions my life. If Roma lose, then for the next two days I'm depressed. If they win, I see everything through a different light. And I'm happy even if there isn't an external, apart from the result, reason for it. For me, being a supporter is like following a religion. You live everything that surrounds the team. You suffer or revel with the people around you who you've never seen before, and they're your brothers just because they have the same coloured scarf as you. As one of the most important clubs in Italy, they've of course had a huge number of great players down the years, including the likes of Franco Tancredi, Cafu, Aldair, Rodi Voller, Gabriel Battistuta and Giuseppe Giannini. For the past two decades, though, one player has stood out as being Roma's star and favourite son, the captain, Francesco Totti. Roman born and bred, by the season's end, he had played more than 500 matches for the Giallorossi, scoring enough goals, 235, to make him the second highest scorer in Serie A history, averaging a goal just over every two games. He is the darling of the fans, and so when I asked Andrea and Danilo who their favourite players had been, I figured I already knew the answer. Andrea told me, What a question. The captain, of course. Then Danilo said, It's easy to say Totti, both for his class and for what he represents. But another player who stole my heart was Paolo Roberto Falcao for his quality, hard work and leadership. Alongside him there was also Bruno Conti, a fan but who had feet like a Brazilian. In 2011, AS Roma changed hands and was bought by an American investment group which wasted no time in wasting money on, well, he played for Barcelona so he must be goods, Bojan Kurkic, Martin Stecklenburg and Gabriele Heinze. These last two players I don't have anything sarcastic to say about but just weren't very good. With these new players came a new coach in the suave form of Luis Enrique, another from Barcelona so he must be good type. But his reign was characterised by disappointment and underachievement, and he was duly given the boot. 
At the start of 2013-2014, Rudy Garcia arrived and almost immediately managed to ruffle a few feathers before the season had even started. Irritated by some dissenting voices from the press at the way his team were shaping up, he responded to the criticism with the none too subtle, When you love your team, your club, your players, you try to get behind them. At the worst, these doubters are Laziali, Lazio fans, and not Romanisti. If you're listening to this but don't really get football, my condolences firstly, but also this could and should be taken as an insult. Doubting someone's passion for their team is akin to doubting their integrity, but of course, much more serious. People had been grumbling because during the summer the club had sold their young Argentine, Eric Lamela, to Tottenham, and a teenage defender Marquinhos to Paris Saint-Germain, and their replacements weren't of the same glamorous vein. They picked up the aforementioned Gervinho from Arsenal, goalkeeper Mogden de Sanctis, Mehdi Benatia from Udinese, and Adam Ljajic from Fiorentina, who is perhaps most memorable for being punched by his coach during a match last year. I was interested to hear what real-life Romanisti would say all about this, so asked my interviewees Andrea and Danilo. Andrea began with, I've never been one for complaining or whistling, but of course it has happened before. That said, Regarding what happened in summer, I'm on Garcia's side. He's totally right, and I'll tell you this. I've said for a long time that the Corva Sud is latializando, i.e. deteriorating in a negative way. So in my opinion, what Garcia said is nothing new. And Danilo said? He, uh, Garcia is right. You only support the strip, i.e. the team. And that's what we've got to do, always. That said, some players don't deserve our love, they exploit our passion and suffering, and don't deserve what we do for them. Us Romanisti prefer triers, who sweat and fight for the jersey, and what it represents, rather than lazy or indifferent stars. We want to see the sweat, we want someone who knows what it means to be Romanisti, and will stand up for us on the pitch, like Totti or Daniele De Rossi, supporters before they were players. There's no smoke without fire, so what with these naysayers and doom and gloom merchants out before the season had even kicked off, it would be understandable if Roma didn't go on to pull up any trees. But oh how wrong you'd be to think this. Garcia's team started the season by winning their first 10 matches in a row, setting a record in the process. They were still unbeaten at the time of my visit and, further spoiler alert, would continue to be so until the first match of 2014. This seems quite remarkable. A team loses a Derby Cup final, Lazio 1-0, finishes 7th, then in the summer sells one of their star players, Lamela, changes coach, and still goes on to set a record-breakingly good start to the following season? What happened? Danilo thinks, The change of coach has done a lot, but I'm sure that the defeat in the Coppa Italia, a match that will never be repeated and so is therefore impossible to make up for, did a lot too. The coach always defends his players and has given them stability and cohesion, which they're now repaying him for. Rome isn't an easy audience to please, which is due to the fans and the fact that there are so many radio shows that talk about Roma 24 hours a day. Then Andrea said, The drama of the cup final contributed a lot, without doubt, but also buying players with strong personalities like De Sanctis, Maicon and Benatia has given us the cattiveria, the badness, the desire to win, that we lacked before, and which has been magnified by the defeat and the desire for revenge. 
The new ownership have announced that as of 2016, Roma will be leaving the ghosts of championships and great players past for a new 60,000 stadium in another part of the city, thus ending their 63-year tenancy at the Olimpico. Italian clubs are by and large owned by Italians, but lately Inter and Roma have been bought by an Indonesian and Americans respectively. While I was heading home on the train in between gazing out the window and trying to fight off the warm embrace of sleep, I wondered if Italian clubs might go the way of most top-flight English teams and be bought up by foreign millionaires. When I asked for their thoughts, Danilo and Andrea had this to say. First of all, Danilo. Nowadays in Italy, there aren't any more magnates with money to burn, and passion for football isn't enough of a reason to throw it away for those that have it. Sensi, the ex-Roma owner, lost almost all of his money for his love of football, and Viola, the ex-president of Roma, lost both his money and his health. The only way forward then, I reckon, is with foreign money. Their business vision and finance, combined with the lack of romantic ideas about fan ownership, can let them come in and make money, either directly or indirectly exploiting the club. For example, with Roma, the chance to build a new stadium means they can also build new housing around it, or use it for tourism. Andrea disagreed, though. I don't think there will be a colonisation like there has been in England, because the situation here is really bad, so I doubt there'd be loads of other foreigners wanting to invest. Of course, it might happen, but I don't reckon Italy is the right country for that kind of investment. Plus, the current situation is gloomy, and the financial crisis is causing a lot of damage. Finally, while Andrea said that the link between the club and the fans now was emotional and to be understood had to be lived and experienced, Danilo had a gloomier view. Before it was more visceral, more closely felt, and when the owners were Romans and Romanisti, there was a strong connection with the city. Now, though, it's strictly business. <laughs>